Hey there, Graybeardians. This is an audio recording of a panel I participated on from the third annual Managed Security Services Forum in Denver, Colorado on February 16th, 2021. It's put on by CTG Intelligence, and the event sponsors were Know Before, HackDefNet, and Fish Tech Group. I was on a panel with a few others. Ben Rhodes was the driver of the session, and who joined me was Amelia Cohen, Rachel Harpley, and William Hoffman. And we talked for about a half an hour with the title of Understanding the Evolution of Third-Party Security in a Remote Working and Distributed Business Environment. I hope you enjoy. The first question for everybody, and I want everybody to chime in on this, is that, you know, is how how has COVID changed things for, you know, just generally remote work, right? I mean, some of us, like me, we've worked remote for some time, as many I'm sure you have, right? But the real question is, uh, you know, how has that affected you? What has COVID changed uh, in the last, you know, 12 months for you? Because it really started about 12 months ago. Yeah. Hey, Brad, uh, this is Eric. I'll jump in on that. So for me, I've been a remote employee full-time almost more than 10 years now, and I used to fly 60 to 80 times a year. Now I have been on a flight zero times since last February 21st. So no hotels, no Ubers. I was looking at my finances and saw that I spent a lot more money on food last year, and it took me a while to figure out, oh, because I didn't have an expense report or I wasn't on a per diem. So, uh, you know, there, there's little things like that. And I was telling my wife a little while ago that I don't know what it's going to be like. I'm around her 24-7. Either one of us leave the house, and if we do, we're together. So what's it going to be like in the future when I'm on a business trip? So there's a big personal impact. And then professionally, I have a major project that I'm working with, some wonderful people in North Carolina. And my boss says to me today, I'd love for you to go out, take them to dinner, and, you know, see how they're doing and their families are doing. And I can't. You know, I'm stuck here. So it's very hard to have a relationship and not everybody is turning on their cameras. So I don't even know what these people look like. And it's uh, it's difficult. So you don't know what they look like. You don't know their facial expressions. So it really affects the relationship. And it's been going on this project for two and a half months and it has another three to go. Will I ever see them in person? I don't know. So that, that's how it affects me. No, absolutely. Emmy. I, I would have to agree with that. Um, I used to travel a lot more for work and uh, I have not traveled since uh, January of last year and um, dealing with all of the technical difficulties. Uh, I've been a remote employee for the past couple of years, so I've, I've gotten my routine pretty solid on that. But um, it's been interesting to watch people who are used to having a commute, having some sort of downtime before and after, and instead they're just working 12 hour days because they don't really know when to stop. Uh, you know, I have a complaint about multiple platforms. Like I go from like, you know, Teams to Zoom to WebEx to yada, yada, and Google meetings. And I don't know where the mute button is half the time. <laughs> problems, right? First row problems. So, Rachel. Uh, yeah, so um, I I would say there's been a, a lot of changes. I also haven't traveled since January of last year and, and traveled around, you know, a fair amount. Um, the, uh, the the trends I've seen from a job seeker hiring standpoint is that uh, the process is taking longer. Um, they're adding more steps to the process than existed in the past. They want more people to talk to someone uh, before making a hiring decision because they're not able to, you know, have face to face and uh, you know pick up those other little cues that might make them comfortable or more comfortable in making a hiring decision. So the, the process in that way is taking a lot longer and impacting teams. So 
absolutely. That's very true. William. I think you're muted, but whatever you're saying is brilliant. <laughs> See, we got somebody with the mute. <laughs> Make sure you're not double muted on like your mic as well. Nope, still can't hear you. Nope, this is still not. platform fatigue. See, platform <laughs> fatigue, you got it, right? Technical exactly. Things like this is kind of... Yeah, no, no, right. <laughs> exactly, right, exactly, right. And so William's going to try it again. He's like, nope, you totally broke whatever happened, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he's showing us instead of telling us, right? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. an unplanned demo. Heather said an unplanned demo. The unplanned, no. You know what, I, when I do demos and stuff like that, that's like the thing. Like I do a demo, right? And I always, I, 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 I you know, jokingly say, I pray to the demo gods that it's actually going to work. And I say always. I'm about 50-50, about 50-50. All right. Um, you, you up yet? Can you hear me? We got you. All right. <laughs> I apologize. I have my headphones on. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go through the computer. Um, no, but I, I, I've been traveling at least for some work. Um, and so it's been a little bit interesting to actually see that. Um, we've had to adjust our, ourselves by sending out devices to do pen testing, internal pen testing, right? So we'd send out uh, drop boxes and stuff like that, leave behind devices. Um, and then like what Rachel was saying about, you know, face-to-face -face stuff going a, bit, a little bit longer is when bringing on new clients, that whole trying to turn stuff up through Teams or Zoom and deploy agents and not be on site to turn wrenches, you know, it's, it's been a little bit of a, a change. No, that's very true. And I, and I think as we think about this, and again, so, uh, you know, this is, we'll, we'll start with Rachel on this one, you know, and, and, and also Eric, it's like, you know, what's going to be different in the future, right? Are we going to continue this, right? For, you know, ad infinitum, right? Is this like a, a, when we think, you know, the people side of things for Rachel, right? Is this the, you know, this is like a, a differentiator uh, for organizations to say, hey, uh, you can work remote wherever you want to. So you can move to like the sticks and say, you know, I don't know, at the foot of the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, where it's absolutely beautiful and it's great. And you can do all this stuff as long as you got a good internet connection, right? Or, you know, in the case of like Eric, right, is this going to be a security impact that we have to think about uh, overall? So Rachel, can we start with you? Yeah, I, um, I I think there are aspects of this that are permanent. Um, and I think there are still organizations that are very eager to go back to the way it was. You know, I think there's a, a general emotional sense of wanting to go back, even though, you know, life only moves forward. Um, but it will remain a competitive advantage for recruiting, um, although it is still a, a major security vulnerability for, for organizations. Um, so, you know, I think it will be a, a mix there, but it will remain a competitive advantage for work for home, for sure. Yeah, on the security side, Eric. Yeah, I think Harry, uh, I believe, said it in the last session that is, this is here to stay. Uh, people are not going to tolerate an hour drive from Monument, Colorado to Westminster uh, in, in, in today's world. Or they'll quit and they'll find something else. So we now have to deal with this from a security standpoint. Uh, the things that I harp on, and I know some of the earlier speakers and panelists have mentioned this as well, I, I think social engineering is probably the number one or two threat and vulnerability management is the other number one or number two and doing patch management and vulnerability management remotely is hard. And keeping your system updated is hard. And it's gonna just be made harder. I think it's gonna take longer to patch. I think we're gonna have an increase in dwell time. 
Uh, I think that we have additional vectors. I'd mentioned this on our intro call yesterday with regards to split tunneling. Most organizations turn on split tunneling, so they're not clogging their lines. And that means that if my work machine is compromised, uh, my clients are compromised. And there was a comment made a little while ago that MSPs, I think it's from Bellum, MSPs don't know security. I'm like, well, fine, MSSPs do. I know security. And I know if there was a key logger on my machine and somebody had breached me through the split tunnel, then my clients are at risk. And so IBM is fantastic with solidifying it. We have training. Uh, there needs to be cybersecurity awareness training, organization-wide, organization deep, across everybody. Uh, and people just need to be made more aware of that. We need to have a shift in mindset for the threats that are out there in this new COVID world, post-COVID world. All right, that, that's a very good point. And there's a, there's a really great one in the chat pod. Um, this is probably like a William question. He's smiling because he knows I'm going to ask him this one. And the question is, how do you patch manage systems you don't own? And I know we got mobile device management, all this stuff. And but you know, we talked we talked in our prep called BYOD and all this other stuff. So I'm going to let you I'm going to let you jump on that one because that one looks like a fun one. <laughs> that is it's it's a good question and something that you have to deal about. Um, you think about with the whole COVID and you know putting remote work first. You are technically extending your infrastructure to that person's private home. So then that does bring in the actual question is, do you own those systems? Um, for the most part, um, it's, you know, you would, you would want to have corporate policy saying, okay, if you're going to be on a VPN and you're going to be in our systems, we are allowed to monitor, we're allowed to manage, and we're allowed to maintain it. Um, there are different ways that you can get around it, especially with, uh, you know, if it's just strictly like an RDP over VPN, so you don't have too much concern, you know, it's still a little bit, um, but there is stuff that you can do, um, but it is, it's a, it's a difficult ones that MSSPs and the MSPs and all of them, they're having to deal with, um, especially like I, the one presenter earlier, or panelist earlier, said it's on the same network as their kid's game, right? So now you have the kids downloading stuff, going to sites that they, you know, could be infected and you're actually just all on one network. So it's, it is a tough, tough one for sure. It is, and you you have people you know in the environment, right? That that they have that single Wi-Fi connection, right? That's all they ever connect to. They don't segment stuff. I mean, and all those things, right? Very flat. I mean, we we talked we we talked about you know the M and M model, right? Where you've got you know that hard crunchy outside in theory, right? And the the nummy inside part, you know, there that's always fun, right? Um, I like I was I I, I flippantly noted in Discord I like the uh, I like uh, the, the pretzel M and M's because they're both crunchy on the outside and crunchy on the inside, right? I'm gonna use that analogy. Um, so Emmy, what do you think about that? What do we What do we do there? I mean, you, you I mean obviously when you when you have, you know, we be basically extended the data attack surface, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Know, out from and all of so these places. You're gonna have to train your staff on how to use a VPN, whether it's a software-based VPN or a hardware-based VPN, um, and then from a company standpoint, is it worth it to buy everyone their own laptop so that they're not using their personal computer, which could already be infected with who knows what? Um, and there's a lot of things that we have to think about now that weren't part of our for for forethought before this. No, no, absolutely. And when we think about like MSS and MSSPs, right, obviously now we're extending some of those capabilities, obviously, you know, like we, in, when you think about it, right, typically 
that MSSP is providing those services to a, we'll call it a corporate location, right? That, that sort of center point of business for an organization, right? But now, right, there's stuff that those MSS, the MSSs, MSSPs are providing that folks are now using, you know, anywhere. It, maybe they're at Starbucks. Maybe they're at the beach. Beaches are awesome. It's cold here in Colorado right now. Maybe they're in, maybe they're at their house, right? You know, or maybe they're at the airport, you know, if they get to be traveling again, right? So how do we, you know, how do the, the MSSPs and the MSS, how do they secure themselves? Like it's that old adage, if you don't secure yourself, how can you help to secure others? What, what, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, uh, I'll go ahead and take that one. My take is first go back to the basics. We make sure, forget COVID. How's your environment? Is it already secure? And I love that M&M comparison. I talk all the time about how organizations look at the firewall and the firewall is the savior. And if I keep people out, I'm all good. But in reality, a phishing attack gets you in. So how are you protecting against that? And when they get in, are you encrypting in your environment? Do you have micro segmentation? Do you have internal firewalls at least? Or do you have VLANs? What's your breakout that way? Don't look at it the way that you've always looked at it. Re-envision what you're doing and solidify your environment. Because if I'm a client and I'm a, you know, a mom and pop shop or a small medium business that's looking for an MSSP to help me, I want to know that you're secure and that you're going to make me secure and that you're not a new threat vector going back to what I said before. Do you give your people corporate laptops? Do you have corporate governance? Do you have corporate training? Do your people know not to put their own software on it? How do you protect your environment so I know that you're going to protect my environment. And again, I don't think that COVID changed this too much. The threat vector was there. Being home now, yeah, everybody's using it at home. Uh, the, the home network, that's an issue. But first things first, secure your environment, internal and external, and then take that and expand upon it for your clients. Oh, excellent, excellent. Rachel, when we think about the people side of this, right, how do we you know, how do you, hey, how do you train people so that they actually pay attention, right? No, that's the loaded question. I'm sorry. Right. See, how do you get the people to go, oh my gosh, I really should pay attention to this, right? And then, you know, like if, if you don't, you know, if you don't have the resources to buy everybody a corporate laptop, right? How do you structure that policy such that, you know, that they're, you know, if they're using a personal laptop or a PC or a Mac or whatever the heck is at home, right? How do you structure that, that policy so that, that we're not getting crosswise of, you know, legal boundaries and all this stuff, like, I don't know, GDPR, all those crazy things. Well, if I had a, the magic one size fits all answer, I'd probably not be on this panel <laughs> and be very, very rich. Uh, you know, security awareness 101, right? Um, you know, how do you get people to care? Uh, perfect example was the, the large uh, Microsoft patch that went out last week. And, you know, how do you get end users to just update their machine, right? Um, and, you know, a decade ago, I was one of, I was one of those users, you know, oh, if I update, it'll affect things and I'll have to, you know, get back on there. So it, you know, it goes back to the awareness training of, um, and, you know, helping them see the value and why it, why it would matter to them. Right. Um, and, and in, in, you know, communicating the policy from an HR standpoint and, you know, building partnership with security, you know, communicating those policies, ensuring that they um, understand why they're there and the importance of them. Um, and, you know, maybe it's a, a strategic decision as well. If you can't afford a machine for everyone in your organization, having one-on-one -on -one conversations about what's happening in their environment and doing a, a risk assessment on which, which ones do we really need to get machines to, right? So if, if you've got, you know, maybe your uh, more senior leaders don't need 
need a machine because they can, you know, they can receive an expense for it, or you know, they have other ways to write it off. But your more junior or mid levels who have you know kids at home and and have larger threat vectors, maybe they get prioritized for machines. No, that's a that's a really good point. And one of the things that I think about with all of this, right, is that you know we we heard earlier. Um, that we're kind of going back to the past, right? We're going back to the idea of like the dumb terminal slash, you know, uh, uh, mainframe thing, okay? That's where I started, okay? So I'm old, I'm just saying, okay? That's where I started. Um, so, but, but, so, so for William and Emmy, some thoughts on this, right? I mean, is it, is, should we look at, you know, deploying like cloud-based capabilities? Like maybe that's a place where the MSS can help where they host like virtual machines that people just log into and do their business? What are your thoughts on that? So I was actually just thinking about that and how uh, there's a couple of businesses I know that are going to like a, a VDI entirely environment. Um, and same with actually one of my alma maters is it's all VDI and it's been that way for, for years now. And um, it, it's something you would have to train people on for sure, but um, it might be less cost uh, costly than getting everyone their own laptop or having to set up a thousand VPNs, um, whether hardware or software, so. Not very too, William. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I, think, I think she nailed it on the head. Um, you know, with having VDI, there's a, there's, uh, uh, it doesn't take security away. We still need to have security. We still have to be taught security if you want to consider it that, especially with end users since they're our first line of defense. But to have that ability to one, have a more secure infrastructure. Um, two, to be able to, uh, you know, turn down, turn up a VDI real quick. So that way, if they did click on the link, you know, you can you wipe it out there before it gets infected and gets spreading through the network um, and have the ability to lock it down, right? If, if there's only either, if it's straight to the VDI from the laptop, if it's over VPN, you know, it's less threat vectors or less uh, attack, uh, attack flat, uh, footprint that the attacker could take. And so that's what you want to minimize, right? We're never going to get rid of the attackers. We just want to minimize that area. And to go, you know, with Rachel talking about security awareness training, that's one thing that we love to do and talk about is everybody used to put it on the IT and on the corporate is, well, they'll just fix it if I get infected or if I click something, they'll fix it. What we kind of teach them is, well, you can take it home. You can protect your family. You can protect your grandparents, right? There's so much phishing. There's so much scams coming on where if you practice it at home, you know, you start looking at that. It's I, I I'm in the habit of locking my keyboard when I walk away, even at home. <laughs> it's like it's just myself, but it's like I, I still lock it. So, no, no, I lock my keyboard because if I don't, my cats will send emails I was to about people to say that. that I don't want them to send emails to, and it's all gibberish. So it, you know, it doesn't help. Um, so let so me, you, you, Brad, so go Brad, ahead. If, if you don't mind, let me jump in on that. Sure, please. I think sometimes people think the cloud is a panacea, and technically, ah, the cloud is just somebody else's computer. And if you're going to do a VDI environment, the right now with my computer at home, the physical device, they have to break into my network or, yeah, they have to break into my network and then get on my machine. If you do VDI, all I have to do is fish you, get the URL, get your username and password. Now I have your whole system. So there are additional risks mm -hmm. doing VDI. And then with cloud and migrating from on-prem into the cloud, you look at things, Capital One is the best example. It wasn't Capital One's fault. I'm sorry, it wasn't Amazon's fault that Capital One got hacked. It was Capital One's fault because people think that segregation of responsibilities means the other guy owns everything. So I'm a big fan of EDI, I'm a big fan of the cloud. I'm not a fan of thinking it's gonna fix your security problems. It's just gonna shift them. Yep, 
And that's a really good point because in all of this, right, everything we're talking about here, right, has a basis in risk somewhere, right? And what happens is, is so many organizations, you know, they, they see like the cloud, like, and I like the idea that you said, panacea, right? They see it as that's the answer to everything, yet if you actually go read the fine print, it's not, right? There's there's so many things. It all depends on whether you're doing, you know, SaaS or, you know, infrastructure as a service or platform as a service, pick your thing, right? Each one of them has got different levels of things you're responsible for, and you don't just get to pawn it all off. You don't get to, you can't delegate that responsibility to, for some of that stuff. And so those are things to think about. William, one of the things I think you, you hit on really, really well, and I really appreciate that, is the idea that the users are the first line of defense. Right, They're, they should, we've, we've got to, I've always been to the mindset, and I, this, I, this bell rang for me a few years ago, that we've got to teach our users, right, to, that, that they can help us defend these networks, right? And at the same time, right, we got to help our, you know, our, our service providers, our help desk folks, right? Don't, don't brush off the users when, you know, Bill calls for the 15th time that he thinks he's got some sort of malware on his computer, right? Because maybe that 15th time is the time that Bill actually does have malware on his computer. Right. And if we just start to, you know, if we, if we, if we, you know, we keep pushing them off, pushing them off, push them off, eventually they're not going to call us. And then you're going to be like in a situation I was dealing with an organization several years back now in an incident response. And their answer to everything was that if something got, you know, compromised the laptop, we just, you know, well, we just reimaged it and gave it back to them. And I went, really? That's your thing. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, so one, one thing here, probably our last topic area to talk about, and then we'll get some wrap up from each of you. Um, and, and we'll, I'll start with Emmy on this one, right, is what about like, you know, data loss prevention, right? So we've all got these magical things here. Here's my smartphone, right? We got all these magical things here that we can access all this data from, right? How do we track all that as a, like as, a, as an MSS or an MSP, right? How do we, how do we help our, org, our organizations and their customers? How do we help them, you know, track all this stuff when data like walks out the door or hopefully before the data walks out the door? What are your thoughts on that? So, um... This is a big, big thing of mine. Um, people don't think about having any sort of outbound rules or any oh, sort yeah. of restrictions on what could leave their network. And so if you get fished and you're already in the network, like your firewall is not going to matter because you have any, any on your outbound and you're not restricting it to the, the things that it needs. That's it. And that's a huge thing is only giving people access to what they absolutely need. Uh, I'd rather have someone ask me for something that they can't access that they need because I lock things down too tightly than just letting everybody free for all. No, I like that. And I'm a huge fan. I, I hate any, any on the outbound on firewalls. That just rising up a wall because it's like, you could literally stop all those beacons, be done with it. Right. They, they, uh, but we don't think about that. Right. We assume that our users, and this is why, and I'm sure Eric will, will, will jump on this one. This is why when we see that, that shift, right. And, you know, and the, you know, to the more of the individual vector, right. That, that that's because that's easy, right? All I have to do is get you to believe the email that I sent you that your boss needs you to buy, you know, a hundred Amazon cards for some conference that he's at virtually. Yeah, so. I, I mean, real quick to reply um, to both what Rod said and Jacob, yeah, you can do MFA, which would help with securing it, no doubt. And I don't think anybody's branded users is stupid. I think that we're just saying users are not experts in this area. And what Emmy is talking about, uh, zero trust, restricted, don't let anybody do anything until they need it. I mean, let's lock it down, wait for the phone to ring, then open it up. I mean, it's people don't know about botnets. They don't know about command and control. And it's not that they're stupid. They just don't have that information. And so the idea here is to 
there's always a trade-off between productivity and efficiency. And the business has to make the decision as to how much you want to do. And it's more efficient to have any, any outbound. Sure as heck ain't more secure. And then as you tighten that down, people can't do certain things. How much does that affect the business? And I've had CIOs, CEOs, and CSOs, or CISOs say to me, I would, this is a true story. It's a multi-billion dollar company and he sees, oh, that company got hacked and had to pay $5 million. I'd rather pay the $5 million than restrict the productivity because we make more money than that. I don't think that's the right view. They got lucky that it was only $5 million. Take a look at what happened to Maersk with, with uh, NotPetya. That's $400 million. So you, you, you got to balance it. There's the trade-off. We need to be secure. We need to be smart. And we need to teach people. People not knowing doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they don't know. So we need to help with that. And that's what this whole seminar that Felon puts on is about. It's about teaching people. Yep, absolutely. I completely agree. William, Rachel, you guys want to comment on that? Go ahead, Rachel. Uh, yeah, I wanted to um, to talk about the, uh, you know, talk about mobile device management. And uh, Emmy brought up, uh, you know, data loss protection. Um, we, the, the threat vector for insider threats has dramatically increased. Right, we've got call center workers who are working in PCI compliant or HIPAA compliant, where previously they were in a geofence or um, you know under security you know security monitoring, so they couldn't export any of that user data. And now you know their safety is important, but they have access to this information with um, you know they're, they're, you, you can't prevent them from taking pictures of their screen. Um, you know, they're, they're not, you know, on camera for the whole time that they're working from a privacy standpoint, but, you know, when they were in the office, they were on camera the entire time, right? And, and so, you know, there's a, a whole other uh, threat vector out there for employee data loss and in, insider threat because of this new work from home environment. And well, I don't think we've really solved how to, how to make that, you know, take advantage of that in a better way. William. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, with the users, like I said, they are their first line of defense. You know, we definitely need to give them kudos when they do present, you know, stuff that they did. You know, uh, give them the satisfactory saying, hey, you did great, you caught it, uh, stuff like that. Because, you know, before with your analogy of the M&M, that's what it is now, right? Attackers are trying to find the softest way in, and that's the user-installed malware. And I say it that way because that's the people that install it for us, right? We don't have to break the system. We just need that user to click on the executable or a link. Um, but going down to, you know, teaching that and making sure that we can follow where that data is. Again, you know, firewall rules that Emmy was talking about. Uh, I've seen it many, many times where they, they're not even logging deny any, any at the end. And you want to see what's going on. You want to see what's trying to get out of your network, right? Even with blocking it. And so more information you can get from the firewalls, from the users, from all that information that helps to secure your data. Um, and going with what Rachel was talking about, that's one thing uh, I was talking with a, a customer about is in the banking industry with remote working is, well, do the end users have shredders at their house? Are they printing data off and just throwing it in their waste bin or are they actually shredding proper data? So it's all the stuff that we got to look at. I'm going dumpster diving later. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> um, that's just still a thing. I why they can print in the first place. Yeah, oh, that's right? a good point. Yeah. So, well, we've come up to the end of our time together. Um, and this has been just an awesome quick chat. I, I would love to, when this all thing comes back together and we can all have coffee, I will, I'd love to have coffee with all of you in person and just have an awesome chit chat and stuff like that. I really appreciate uh, Eric, William, Rachel, Emmy. 
thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being part of this panel. And thanks, uh, uh, Philem, for uh, setting this all up. And I'm going to hand it up uh, back over to you, sir. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that was a great panel. Please give everyone a round of applause. Um, thanks, Brad, Eric, Rachel, William, and Emmy. I, I will see you all in the audience. Lovely comments uh, in the audience already. And that'll do it. Thank you all for listening. And feel free to shoot me an email at cybergraybeard at gmail.com or visit the website, and you can connect with me through that at cybergraybeard.com. Thanks, and have a great afternoon.